Hey everybody, it's comedian Trent McClellan, and you're listening to my podcast called The Generators. Every single week I have a cool guest and we talk about uh, life, professions, creativity, success, failure, and all sorts of other cool stuff. And every single one of these conversations I learned a great deal and I'm pretty sure you're going to learn a great deal too. So uh, hang on tight and thanks for listening to The Generators. Oh, hello. What time did you get here? Didn't even know you were here. Didn't even see you come in. Welcome to episode 11 of The Generators with me, Trent McClellan. I hope you're doing all right. I hope you're good. Happy Monday if you're listening to this on Monday. And if you're not, happy day of the week, whatever it is you're listening to this thing into the future. I don't know when it is you're listening to it. I don't have that kind of technology at my disposal. I got a microphone, I got a Zoom, and I got uh, earbuds, okay? So that's basically what I've got going on. So uh, don't expect too much, you know, in terms of uh, future predictions. I'm not in that game. That's not what I do. Um, I hope you're doing well. I hope you had a good weekend and a good week and that it was all things that you wanted uh, it to be. My week was really good. I uh, getting my head around heading off to 22 minutes. It's all getting very real now, so... Uh, Planning the move and um, getting some details figured out. And, uh, you know, it seems so far away on the radar for, for quite a while. And now it's uh, it's inching ever closer. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm excited and uh, to get to get going out there. So I've been trying to figure out what I got to do and get my head around the fact that I'll be living in a new city. You know, that's uh, that's weird. You know, I mean, it's, it'd only be for half the year during taping but excuse me it's still um it's a big move you know it's a big life change so um as i said it's becoming very uh very real now but i'm uh, i'm excited to to get going and start throwing ideas at the wall uh, with everybody else there and um and yeah the time will be fast upon us i go to newfoundland tomorrow i'm recording this sunday night this introduction and go to Newfoundland, uh, back to my hometown of Cornerbrook, one of the prettiest places on the planet. I don't care what anybody says. It is. That's a fact. And uh, I'm going back there for a few days, doing my big show in Stephenville on August 9th. And um, then a few weeks in uh, St. John's area, hanging out with some family and friends. And then uh, back to do the gathering in, in uh, Burlington. With uh, Shama Junder and Mark Critch and Joel Plaskett and I think a bunch of other fine people. Jeremy Charles, the chef, my good buddy, he's going to be there too. Um, so that should be a good fun weekend as well coming up. And uh, I hope you can get up to one of these shows. Then uh, September 9th, doing a, a cool show at the university at my uh, alma mater of Memorial University. And um, doing a show there, did it last year as well, but this year we're adding on something cool. We're going to do... Um, gonna have an opening act and then I'm going to go on stage for about an hour, but then we're going to do a Q and a at the end of it where, um, you guys can ask questions about whatever you want, whether it's about stand up or the podcast or about, I don't know, anything you're curious about that you think that maybe I could potentially answer. You can, um, do that. So doing something a little bit different. The idea behind it was, uh, a lot of times when I'm doing shows, I go in the lobby afterwards and, you know, you, you talk to people and it's great, but I find I never, ever have enough time to do it. And, 
people often feel rushed and I felt like this was a way to kind of just have it sit down calm people can ask questions if they want and then when someone else asks a question you get to hear that question and that answer so not just your own question so um so yeah if you're coming to that show in st john's on september 9th uh yeah maybe think of some questions that you'd like to ask and uh, it won't be me roasting you or trying to make fun of you i'll uh i'll um i'll be gentle i mean i uh i i i don't mind questions so i'll uh i'll answer them to the best of my ability maybe you want to know about stand up or what it's like before showtime or how I prepare or how I write or I don't know, whatever you want to ask. It's totally up to you. I don't, I don't care about certain bits. Um, I don't care. Maybe you got questions about 22 minutes. I don't know. Whatever it is, you ask it, I'll answer it. And, uh, yeah, to try something different there. So also got a bunch of other show dates that are going to be announced real soon. Just putting the finishing touches on those. And, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting back to some um, some places that I've been before and a couple of new spots as well. So, um, yeah, those are going to be coming up real soon. Um, what else have I got going on? Oh, I recorded. I PVR'd this um, one of these uh, 30 for 30s, you know, ESPN 30 for 30. Um, one of these things called, uh, I guess it's Lakers versus Celtics, talking about that rivalry. Man, I just watched a few minutes of it, and then I had to go, but... I'm going to watch that, I think, after I record this. Man, that was, like, such an awesome time where teams, like, actually hated each other, you know? Like, I'm not saying we need to promote hate in the world, but in sport, man, it just takes stuff to another level where, like, two teams genuinely don't like each other. There's no hanging out in the off season and shooting commercials together and hanging out at parties. It's like, no, no, we don't talk to them, you know? So it kind of gets to what Cassie Campbell talked about where she just – her Canadian hockey team, like they, she hated the Americans. Like that was just, and when that goes on to the ice, um, I mean, it just adds a whole new dimension of drama and intensity. And this Celtics Lakers thing is, is basically all that man, just all jammed into one intense, um, series that they're talking about right now. So I can't wait to get at that. And, uh, that was, like I said, that's when I first got into basketball and watching it was watching magic versus bird. And, Mikhail versus, um, you know, Kareem, and, oh, man, it was a sweet, sweet time. Sweet time in the NBA. I don't even watch much NBA anymore, you know? It's actually crept into my act now a little bit, just kind of uh, poking at NBA players a little bit right now, so I've been having fun with that. Having a ton of fun on stage, man. I got to say, I got when you get a few new ideas as a comedian, it's uh, it's like a rebirth. You feel like you're just rejuvenated and alive and all things are good. It, it's just, it's amazing what kind of energy it gives you. And uh, I got a bunch of new ideas I've been working on and they've been, they've been coming along nicely. So it's just been so much fun on stage lately, just feeling really loose and good. And uh, uh, yeah, I can't wait to hit the ground in Stephenville. It's going to be uh going to be a fun, fun night. Um, enough about me, everybody. I'm going to set up this week's podcast uh, guest. Uh, my guest this week is Mr. Alex Nussbaum. A good friend of mine from uh, Toronto now makes his home in Los Angeles, California, America. And um, we recorded this maybe a month and a half ago uh, in Alex's hotel room um, when he was doing a show here in Calgary. And uh, I met Alex a number of years ago. I don't know, man, maybe, I don't know, eight, nine years ago. And uh, one of those typical things when you're a comedian, how you just get paired up with another comedian who you've never met. And you get in a car and travel together for, I don't know, we travel together for like six days. And you just hope to God that you get along with this complete stranger, you know? I mean, no one tells you about that when you first start stand-up, how that's going to be a job requirement. You think it's just about being funny and making people laugh. It's like, yeah, 
That's that's one tenth of it. The other part of it is that yeah, how do you like get in a car with a stranger who you've never met and now you gotta coexist, maybe share accommodations and a car and find ways to not kill each other for seven days. That's a, that's a part of the job requirement when you first start. So luckily, Alex and I uh, were, were paired up on this tour many, many years ago, and we just hit it off, man. We became good buddies. Our sense of humor is very similar. We laugh at the same things, and uh, we always got into deep conversations. And so before this podcast was even recorded, we had lunch together that day, and we had we wanted to talk for four hours just about everything in the, in the world, you know, it was, it was just one of those buddies that you can just go, go deep with. And then this podcast is, uh, primarily stand up related. So if you're a stand up comedy junkie, this one's for you talking about, um, you know, the business and the entertainment world and, uh, and stand up in particular. And so, uh, we go deep into that and it's a good combination of silly and serious in this one. We do a lot of laughing and, uh, but we get serious uh, quite a bit too as well. So, uh, yeah, you just want to, everyone has that friend, man. You can just go, you can go deep with, and uh, Alex is that guy for me, definitely. And uh, it's too bad he lives in LA, you know? It's like if we think we lived in the same city, we'd be, uh, we'd be hanging out all the time, but it is what it is. And uh, he's, he's doing really well down in Los Angeles. So, really happy for him. And it was just great that I was able to, to catch up with him. Another thing when you're a stand up and you have friends that are stand ups, it's really difficult because they may not live in the same city you do. When you're going through their town, there's a good chance they're going to be on the road. When they come through your town, same thing. So it's very hard to meet up. That's why festivals are so great. You get to catch up with people you haven't seen for a long time and and uh, and uh, relive some old stories. So uh, it was just kind of cool that I was able to, to catch up with him when I happened to be around when he was in Calgary doing his shows. So uh, we had a fantastic conversation. And um, like I said, talk a lot about the entertainment industry in a bunch of different places, in America, in Canada. Uh, Alex talks a little bit about what things are like in Australia and in the U.K., and his road uh, um, into the world of entertainment and the different hats that he's worn, um, you know, through the course of his career. So lots of stuff in this one. So, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, sit back, enjoy this one, you know, and uh, thanks so much again for listening. You know, you're crushing it out there with the support, getting some nice messages from people, how they've been enjoying the uh, the podcast and the kind of stuff they're doing while they're listening to the podcast. And uh, I've been enjoying it too, man. We got some massive guests coming up too. Uh, again, I can't be, I couldn't be more grateful for people just giving me their time. Some of them I've never met before who have been generous enough to say, yeah, man, I'll, uh, I'd love to be on. So we, we've got some big, big ones coming up. So stay tuned. And uh, thanks for supporting me and the, and the Generator Podcast. So here it is, my fantastic chat with my good buddy, Mr. Alex Nesbaugh. All right, man. Bye-bye. Love. Baby got them open all over town Strictly bitch you don't play around Cover much ground Got game by the town Getting paid is a forte Each and every day To play away I can't get her out of my mind I think about the girl all the time This thing is working, huh? This, okay, it is working uh, Alex Nussbaum, oh. welcome to the generators. Ah, that's what it's called, the generators. Thanks, that's what man. I call it. Where are we right now? We're in um, the. Uh, what are we doing? What are we? Where Where are we right now? Tell our listeners you, where we are right now. Like uh, realistically? Yes, for real. You can make something up if you want, but you um, to be honest. We are um, in an industrial park, uh, an area where you have to walk about four blocks to get to a Tim Hortons. <laughs> Which in Canada is unheard of. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah. I thought it was federally mandated that two orders should be every two blocks. Yeah. Uh, these aren't even short blocks either. These are long. They are long, long blocks. lonely blocks because there's no one else walking around here. That's true. You don't see anyone unless someone's broke down. Unless someone is like either their ride hasn't shown up, you'll yeah. see them walking through. Oh, no. Often, if I if I need to go to the mall, I'll usually have to like fix four or five flats on the way. <laughs> Just to get to the ball, it's like, oh, God, I'm never, never going to get those new jeans I need with all these flat tires. Oh, God, this is horrible. Uh, you know what I was thinking about, man, when you agreed to do this? I was thinking about how we, uh, how we first met. And, like, for people who aren't comedians, like, this is really surreal to think of this as a, just a, a fact of your life is that when you're a comedian, you often have to go pick someone up that you've never met before, and get in a car and drive around Canada for six days. That's right. And you have to eat meals together and share conversation in a car. Like, no other profession, I think, requires you to do that. Like, where that's just part of the job description to do, let alone the shows you have to do. Like, no, no, you're just going to go pick this dude up, and you guys are going to drive around. And you may hate each other, but that's none of our business, because you're going to be in Williams Lake. We don't, we don't even get, like, a pre-meet. We don't even get, like, can we, no. get, can we do a coffee first? Yeah, see if it works. You know, can I meet him for a coffee, and then we can decide. Uh, Try it out, like a yeah. fitting, if you will. We'll yeah. just a fitting to see if it works. Yeah, it's like, you know, I mean, it's uh, you do a coffee date before you commit <laughs> exactly. to something. Before you commit, before you commit <laughs> to, to three weeks. More long-term. Of, uh, of three weeks of a oh. very, very close-knit relationship. Because we, I, that's what happens. So this would have been, I mean, this must have been over a decade ago, probably. Right? Like, and I pick you up. We, are, yeah, we get, we have to go to Williams Lake. We had the worst run ever. It was like, we had to go to Northern BC to Williams Lake. Then we had to go kind of back halfway the way we came to go to Kelowna for three shows. Yeah. Then after the third show, we had to drive back past Williams Lake to Quinell. We had to do Quinell on Mother's Day. I'll never forget this. I forget all of this. By I was the way. going through the a fact bre- that you can remember all these things. I was going through a breakup at I, the time. I mean, they all sound familiar, but I yeah. literally could not tell you one thing from no. other than like hanging out totally, and joking it around. It was totally forgettable. I get it. But here's the Ooh. thing: we get to Quinell. It was Mother's Day. We're on this stage that must have been at least nine feet high, and the mic cord was only about <laughs> about nine and a half feet. Yeah. So you're standing there, and it's like you're kind of bent over because the cord won't come up all the way. And then I had to get back. I was, for, a, I was a primarily physical act. It was a very event. It's like he does a hunchback for his entire. <laughs> and uh, I had to get back to Calgary for a CBC radio taping. So we had to leave at like five mm. o'clock in the morning. I like the little name drop. And uh, that's when we discovered uh, we started riffing on Ricky's All Day Grill. That oh was on that God. drive back when Ricky's. He's going to bring this up. Because <laughs> this is a typical thing for comedians when you, uh, you just have, I don't know what you call it, where you have. You've been in a car for such a long time now. You just get to a level of silliness where yeah. you just are, everything is hilarious. So we start, well, well, it's, it's almost like it's almost like the way sleep deprivation, uh, mm. how it how it has uh, a, a lot of similar exactly. Yeah. So it's almost like that. It's it's kind of like this strange. Um, uh, it's like we're like like we're um, what do they call that. Uh, uh, when the captors, uh, what are they? Uh... Oh, uh, the syndrome. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's like that, but with but where both of the people are, are captive to each other. <laughs> and we started riffing on this. There's a chain of restaurants out west here called Ricky's All Day Grill. Yes. And we just started riffing on this this character named Ricky who was just obsessed with grilling all day. And we just would make scenarios where Ricky... Ricky would go really. You you get to go live your lives, but me grilling all day. I have you, no no. Go enjoy your boating. Go yeah, enjoy yeah. your. No, Ricky was married to the grill. That's right. R- Ricky's love was the grill. 
And he so, was uh, no, but he was but he was panicked. Yeah, I mean, this was obviously something that and we thought it was hilarious. Like, well, time. I was gonna say, like, I feel like you bringing this up is like kind of like when you bring up an inside joke. Yes, well, that's and what I mean. It, and then everybody and everybody just pauses and waits until they go on to another topic. Yeah, you had to be there, guys. <laughs> it was, uh, but it was one of those things where I remember we cried laughing for hours yes. and it killed time on the drop. It's true, but it it is an interesting thing. Like I've talked to another comedian on the podcast about this about. Like, that's a part of the job description that no one describes to you. Like, everyone thinks it's about going on stage and being funny and telling jokes. It's like, no one tells you that other part about, oh, by the way, you'll also have to share a condo with someone you've never met before or a car for a week. Like, that's not for everybody. Yeah, that's not, that's, when you see, when you see someone on the late night TV doing their comedy set and you think, look how funny that they are and you think that they do this late night uh, set on a stage at a club. And you think that, yeah, maybe they stay in a hotel room. And that's kind of where it ends in terms of like what you think their life is. They don't, you don't really think, and I think this is particularly Canadian comedy too. <laughs> because Canadian comedy, I mean, the thing is, is that with a population of California, but uh, larger than the, all of the United States in landmass, then, then that's going to that's gonna mean a 12-hour. I mean, I remember, what I do remember is when we were staying in a motel and then we had to get up at literally like 6 in the morning, where I think it hit the road maybe at 6 in the morning mm-hmm. so we could get to the next gig at 6 p.m. just so that way we could kind of settle in and be there for the 8 o'clock show. Yeah. So 12, 12 hours of driving, Yeah. Settle, your, settle in for a bit, and then get on stage. It's insane. Yeah, and that was, and I remember, yeah, I remember thinking, but to be honest, I didn't do too much. Like, that's something, you know, some people are road dogs and they do that all the time. I didn't really do that all the time. That, to me, was kind of, that was a standout. Like, that, the experience I had with you was, like, right. the first time coming out west. All right. And it was, and it was um, to do a tour, and that was at the time where they did have gigs like that. I think now, not as much as they uh, used to, or yeah, I don't well, know. No, I still think there's quite a few of those. Oh, there, yeah, and okay. it's like... It's one of those lessons I think you learn as a comedian, too. Like, when you're playing your home club that's 15 minutes or 20 minutes from your house and you know all that, it's very different to then go on the road and be in a car for nine hours and be tired and fatigued and whatever and then go up and try and learn how to deliver in those moments. Like, that's another few gears you have to dip into to try and find that. (laughs) And people either have it or they don't. It doesn't mean they're not funny or not talented. It just means that thing is is, there's too great a cost. Mm Mm-hmm. To them to do that to go and then for how much money? How much am I doing yeah. this for? Well, it's like that's not for everybody. Like, yeah, there's reasons why people quit. Well, I think it's a lack of other options. Uh, you know, <laughs> like, true. Like any other situation it's where uh, people are stuck in marriages. Anyway, let's not get into the um, <laughs> people <laughs> trapped in let's life. Not, and... Let's not get into my twenties. Um, but uh... <laughs> but it's so true. It's it's like uh, well, you, it's funny you mentioned that. There's comedians who, you know, I, people talk about be in a comedy career for 10 12 years and then you have this realization that maybe it's not going to happen the way you thought it's going to happen and then what do you do after 12 years like if you have only been immersed in comedy for that long for a decade and a half Mm -hmm. what employable skills will you have now to leave and go i'm gonna go do whatever it that's terrifying to people Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like oh well just put your head down and either evolve or just continue to do what you've been doing and be bitter and miserable like it's yeah that's a scary thing i mean i i mean you know everything. I guess has it carries a blessing and a curse with it. For me, I didn't get, I didn't kind of have that experience of uh, of doing stand up for a couple of years and then getting on the road and kind of like just always being, just making my living off of stand up exclusively. So, right for me, 
it was like I always had to find other ways to make a living, whether it was the day job for a little while and then to transition into, into you know, doing some commercials, maybe doing a little writing on the side, getting into, I got into animation writing. That was kind of my day job. I'd always had, had to have something else on the side. I wasn't like a just strictly touring comic. So in some sense, it meant that I didn't, I think I didn't um, get as much stage time as I wanted to as a comic, like, like just in terms of evolving Right. Uh, as a performer but it also meant that I had these other skills that I can kind of always go back to so I don't feel like I'm stuck as a comic just only doing stand up and 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 not having any other options or so I, so I don't have that fear that some I think people have of, of like what do I do if I don't do this or right well yeah and I th- that's a, a real uh, trend now as well I think where comedians tend to have a bunch of pots on the stove I think before it was probably just acting being a comedian or an actor whereas now i think folks are looking at producing their own movies making their own things making their own shows maybe it's a youtube thing podcasting there's more avenues now kind of in a way to kind of get yourself out there in different mediums Mm -hmm. so it's an exciting time in that regard and i think people less people are waiting to be chosen now whereas before it was like i gotta get this audition or i need this tour or i need this break and there's still a bit of that but i don't I almost feel like it's a more hopeful time in a lot of ways for anyone who's kind of creative that you have more mediums with which to kind of get your vision, whatever that may be, out mm-hmm. there. Uh, yeah, I think before. that. I think that again, everything's got the blessing and the curse, right? Because uh, um, even though you'd have more control and uh, you can do a bunch of different things and and have a, uh, just put th- different things out there, it also means that you're you're doing a lot of you know you're wearing a lot of hats and you and you're always hustling and it's just uh, you you can't necessarily focus on one thing and it that can be stressful in its in its own way yeah. for some people who who let's say i mean if you're one of the lucky ones and you just did the one thing whether you're acting writing or doing stand up or whatever and then, and then you get plucked from that and then you kind of have a career from that then you can just focus on the one thing and become a master of that one thing and um and then you know, it's it, somebody kind of takes the reins in terms of the um, producing, managing side of things, yeah. as opposed to you know, because that, that can be a thing too, where somebody isn't necessarily the best artist, but they're a really good producer, so they get their stuff out there, yeah. And so they, so now you're watching their stuff versus somebody else who might be, um, you know, just completely useless uh, in yeah. real life, but but has this great mind. You know, it's kind of sad in a way that maybe you might not see, see or hear more of them because they aren't producers and so therefore they would need somebody who is a producer or you know an agent or a manager or whatever to get their stuff out there um so in that sense like it, you know in that kind of free economy wild west kind of scenario the people who survive sometimes aren't necessarily the ones that have the most to offer artistically yeah that's that's a good point also it feels like I think comedians now seem a little bit more, are learning to be a little bit more business savvy. Like, I think there was a time, I know when I first started anyway, I thought talent was enough. Like, yeah, I thought that's exactly it. You that's... literally got on stage, you were hilarious, and then here comes some agent to whisk you off to a land of yeah. riches and fame. And then you realize, oh, talent's kind of just this base level thing that everyone has just to get into the room. Mm-hmm. And now it's going to be about hustle and your ingenuity and your level of perseverance and all those things. I think now comedians are a little bit more aware of that than comedians of past generations are. Where sure. I think, and I, you know, we talked about this before we started recording. That I think that's where the true happiness is. I think the true happiness is you generate, you create content, you put it out in the world, and after that, 
whatever happens happens but mm-hmm. it's not sitting around waiting to be chosen waiting to be selected by a comedy festival or some tour or some sitcom or whatever if those things happen great if they don't happen you're still generating your content the way you want to do it with your vision i think comedians it seems now have more of a well-rounded view of that right than i think past generations i think that is. but but i think that that the what you're talking about as being the positive, the joy of that is is the sense of control, is the fact that I want to make something, I have my own, you know, it's like building my own domain, my own territory, that I can, I have um, dominion over what I do and how I do it and how I put it out there versus kind of just showcasing and hoping someone scoops you up and someone picks you and, and then they have control. And then it, once they decide they've had enough of you, now you feel like you don't have control and you don't know what to do because you don't have the the wherewithal the skills the you know the, that toolkit of how do i get my stuff out there but that's a different kind that um the pleasure of having control over your art um is good but then if you're one of the lucky ones that is um gets yourself a patron you know right. that just is happy to let you do what you do and you don't have to think about anything else that's the other thing too is you know it's like to just focus your mind only on being creative uh, versus kind of sometimes I feel like it can take you out of it. having the other set of skills that makes you a producer can sometimes take away from the purity of just being a weird mind for an outsider who sees things because sometimes you know because you're a producer you can't always see things from the bizarre outside point of view because you have to also have your head in the game right so yeah, it's funny I was I was uh, just traveling around Europe for fun um, and I say that only because I'm, I'm trying to impress. I have no story. No, I, um, I, I, was, uh, I was in Spain, and I, went to st- I had to check out the Salvador Dali Museum. And what was it called? Like, it was like a gallery uh, museum and theater, I think it's called, because there was like some other it was a bizarre place. But they were talking about how he essentially had patrons his whole life. He had a rich wife. He could kind of just do whatever he wanted. He could just just focus on the art. Like he, right. ju- he didn't have to, everything was taken care of. He had like a wife that had a lot of money and was had a good business sense. And so he just did whatever he wanted to do. And you oh, know he could, he could be the kook, the checkbook. Yeah, I gotta go uh, do the thing there. I think the... she was. I think he was also. They also had an arrangement where he also could. It was kind of an open marriage too. Right. So yeah. So pretty much the full network deal is what you're saying. This was the uh... <laughs> he did exactly, he, exactly. <laughs> So he, uh, yeah, and I look at that. casting is what you're saying. What kind of? Casting. He also did casting? Oh, he did, of course, (laughs) yes. No, he would definitely have uh, some people come in. He'd he'd have some. um, It's funny. I think it's funny you say that. But I think, like, if you look at it from an entrepreneurial perspective, when you decide that the buck stops with you, there's there is more weight to it and more responsibility, and you can't just live in the silly artistic world. Mm-hmm. You have to think about marketing and all these business decisions, and budgets, and all those things, yeah. which we don't get into this for. No, that's mm-hmm. why we left the real that's world the so we could play in and this silly other, world. And there are other people who have jobs. Yeah, <laughs> let them <laughs> they do that. Need that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, uh, this is, a, and, and you're right. Delegation is part of it, perhaps, but also. There's a power in when you realize when you kind of take the reins of your own career and you realize like these are all choices that you've made. You're you're looking to work with certain people and now there's really no one to blame anymore because even at the end of the day, if someone that you've chosen to work with messes up, ultimately that falls on you. This is your project. You chose that person. So in a way, you kind of have to own 
that as well. Whereas I think sometimes we can get into a mindset of always blaming outward. Like you can blame your agent for not getting you enough work. You can blame your manager for this decision. You can blame the comedy club for whatever. And you really get into this blame game mentality all the time. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you start owning stuff and going, okay, I chose to work at that club. And with that comes these consequences and possibilities. And then this happened. Like there's power when you reverse it and go, that was a choice. That Uh was a choice. And yes, I can crap on whoever, and I think there's a little bit more joy when you start, when you decide that you're driving the car. Yes, like I said, it's a different kind of joy. Yeah, it's the it's it's the the joy of uh, being your own man in, in charge of your own you know domain rather than. I mean, I it's funny because I really was like when I got into comedy, it was precisely because I wasn't a businessman. <laughs> you know, yeah, I you're wasn't from that bad. You know, I'm not a salesman. I can't. You know, the whole like, notion of that just I was. I was just outside of that entirely, you know, through time and survival. I've just, I've just kind of came into my own in that way. Yeah. But whether that's better, I mean, it, it depends, you know, it's, it would be, it's better in the sense that, uh, longevity of my career is sort of more in my hands, but also, um, there is some satisfaction in kind of being a bit more of my own boss and kind of manning up to that and all that sort of thing. Made this mail twice, but, um, <laughs> but, but again, I sort of do kind of look back, kind of harken back to the simpler days of just going. I'm just going to be a silly freak, and you know, people will see that's great, and they'll give me opportunities, and you know, and then I'll, you know, I'll make my money, and I'll do well, and I could just bounce from one silly thing to another, and I don't let 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 the boring people handle all the boring work, right, right, and. And so that that was kind of how I saw it. And then as time went on and I started to feel like, well, I there are certain things I haven't gotten a chance to do that I'd like to do. Then I uh, had to kind of say, OK, so what do I got to do now? <laughs> exactly. Well, you've been and I mean, you've spent a number of years in Los Angeles and it's interesting to hear people's opinions of L.A. Mm-hmm. as a city, as an experience. Like I, I have a lot of friends who live down there now. I've been down there a few times myself doing doing different things and uh it's it seems to be a whole lot of everything but i think it's as different as the people who go there mm-hmm. in terms of what their expectations are what what they're looking to do when they go down there how they approach it work ethic like what is your what's your overall relationship with the city of los angeles like that la experience to you is what is it to you what does it mean to you um just being around where the action is kind of like i, I think that even if you're not on the inside, inside where you're, you know, young and pretty and getting cast and everything and all that sort of thing, or or, or whether uh, you didn't, you know, you may not have that top job or whatever, but it is you are in the midst of people striving to to get something great made, and that's in of itself raises your bar, mm-hmm. and it also gives you the opportunity that you might connect with somebody who is at a certain level that can now perhaps be an opportunity for you to get to that level, um, you know, just by virtue of you, if you're doing what you're doing well and you're doing your best trying to do a good job, then people see that and that could, you know, then they might want to involve you in it. So that it just it's just that if you're in a place where there isn't as much of a business, um, you know, say like where we are. Right. Um, less industry opportunities. There's less everything. Yeah, yeah, you could be great and people can think you're great, but it kind of sometimes ends there. And sometimes it's a matter of like you could be great and they think you're great and maybe let's just let's put let's take them to the next level where it's TV or something like that. But if you don't have 
what they're looking for right now. And again, it's like that could happen also in the States, but this is just more opportunities. Mm-hmm. So you, they might, you might not be what they're looking for right now, but the right now is, is, is a very short right now. Whereas, whereas here it's like, oh, here's the one opportunity this year. Yeah. And it's gone. And it's, yeah, it's, it's either you're, you're either kind of what they're looking for or you're not. And then, you know, just the opportunities come around not as often. So it's not to say that it's impossible not to do things here or have a career here. But even then, like, you know, even people who kind of have a bit of a break and they're on a show for a while, uh, it might be enough to help them pay some bills and you can kind of give raise their profile a bit. But very often you'll see an actor who was in a sitcom or something like that and now they're slumming it somewhere else perhaps. Again, that could happen in the States, but not as often. Like it's In the States, it generally is like if you get to a level, you can kind of stay there or go, you know, move up. Makes Whereas sense. here, sometimes, you it's know. A sli- it's a snake. You go down the snake, you yeah, know, it's, it's yeah. snakes and ladders. Y- yeah. It seems like some people, I know com- comics used to joke about this, about how people would come up from Los Angeles and do spots in Canada, and it's like being from LA, LA was a credit. Yeah, like, yeah. this guy, what can I tell you? He's from L.A. That's right. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. it was almost like the city was enough. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we, we probably have both seen people over the years where there might have been the um, delusion that leaving Canada specifically and going to L.A. was making it. Like, right. I live in L.A. now. Yeah. There you go. And the reality of it is, by all accounts, and you can speak further to it, is that that's when the real fight and work begins. Yeah, like you sure. thought you were fighting and working before, yeah. and you go to LA and you go to the bottom of the ladder and yeah. start over, basically. Yeah. But like that's where you start swimming. That's where you really. For but, sure. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of like the optics of it all. About yeah, I live in LA now. You know that kind of like yeah. It's like yeah. okay, great. Yeah. But uh, there's seven of you in an apartment. Uh, you're <laughs> sh- six of you are sharing the same couch. <laughs> you know, like when you went down there, did you go down there? What What was your mindset when you went down? Were you going down there with that will be a level of making it, or were you going like, no, I know I'm going down to just to just go to work and and it's a, it's a starting over of sorts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I went down there with the interest of of taking what I've already done and, you know, progressing and moving forward. It wasn't just the idea of like, I'm here now and that's, that's good. (laughs) It was, it was like kind of, it is starting over and it is, uh, you know, just, yeah, you kind of have to hustle more. Uh, Again, it's just the good and bad of it is that if you're, if you stay in the place where you're, uh, you've reached a high level, but there's a ceiling, you know, you can enjoy the fact that I can get up whenever I or wherever I want and I'm treated with a certain kind of respect and all that sort of thing. But then that gets tired. Yeah. Now you can only maybe some people enjoy just staying the big fish in the small pond for as long as they want. But if you're sort of looking to do more, you know, and not just mm-hmm. kind of be on a bit of a, a hamster wheel, yep. um, then it you know everything has its price so you have to kind of take a your that's all removed now you're a nobody in the big in the big uh sea of uh of hollywood <laughs> yeah that's right and yeah. so you've got to then have everybody get to know you again and uh but again it's for me though the thrill of it, of it is the idea that if i'm working on something and i want to get it out there there are people there who are who, who will get excited about that whereas you know, in a place where there isn't as much opportunity, you could be doing something that seems really cool, but there's nobody's really looking here in a way. You know, sometimes they, 
in down there they they are hungry for somebody who might have an idea that could really make them some money you know here it tends to be um uh you you're they're doing you a favor by paying attention to your pitch for example right, right, can, that yeah. can sometimes you know feel that way you know yeah. and then they'll sit on it for like 3 years figuring out whether it's something they want to do and then everything's kind of slow too like it, down there yeah you might get rejection but at least it's quick yeah. you know <laughs> that's right at least you know they kind of develop it quick and they, and they go no we don't like it bye bye and then you can work on your next thing yeah you're not sitting around versus, for a year with here, hope. you could just yeah you could just sit on an idea that they put through the system and then three years later they you know you're kind of you feel like maybe i should just wait and see what happens with this and then three years later they're like yeah we decided it doesn't quite work and now you're like, oh well that was three years yeah. gone yeah now i guess i'll go mm-hmm. in for another few years or yeah. so that's i mean there's things like that i mean that that's what i find kind of comes up in terms of what people may complain about it in, yeah. in terms of the differences there turnovers quick and whatever mm-hmm. yeah i think americans are also amazed american comedians are amazed at how little is actually produced here considering how many comics and actors for that matter and and everyone from people behind the scenes how much talent there is in this country but then mm-hmm. how little is actually produced here like it it is it is kind of surreal how little uh, like how small an industry it actually is when you think about the level of talent that that comes out of this country every single year. Yeah, but I mean, I even think that that might be overblown a bit. I think that the level of talent here is is good, but I don't think it's necessarily somehow disproportionately better than America. I think mm-hmm. that m- there's more people in America, but essentially the same level of talent among those. So you know, where there's where there's one where there's three really great guys here. There might be a hundred really great guys there, right? You know, and and then going down the level of how you know whether yeah, per capita, yeah, 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 really great, good, mediocre, not so good. Like it's just there's just more of them, right? Yes. So I think that here, I don't think that there's necessarily somehow we magically have better talent here. Um, I think it's just a matter of uh, they they don't hear about it down there. So when they go down there, it's a bit more of a revelation. But it's not like. It's you know they they have plenty of, of really strong talent down there. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? It's not it, it, it's not like Canadians are somehow stand out above and beyond Americans. It's just that they just haven't heard of them yet. No, but it's it, you know I guess further that kind of whole influx of you know you're going to L.A. because that's where that's where the bigger industry is and and everyone understands that. But it just feels like there is a massive imbalance in terms of the amount of things that are produced in Canada and this country. And I agree the numbers aren't there in terms of, you know, the number of folks who are doing it. But I still think there should be more things produced here and there should be more chances taken. Yes. Like in England, they have pots of money where it's like, we're just going to have this and just spend some money on it and give it a shot. And mm-hmm. we and if we lose it, we're fine. Like it's almost like there's a risk pool almost. Yeah. Whereas in Canada, it seems like we have these safe things we're going to go and do. And if uh, that's it, we're not going to really put other stuff out there not that you know new sitcoms and new things don't aren't developed they are but it just seems like at such a slower rate it's just not done with the same amount of um of risk with the same amount of like let's let's go for it let's see what happens here you know yeah i think it's definitely like i mean i don't you know i i know what the few things i see but i don't it's not like i know everything about what it is about canada that why are we doing good and not why are we doing this if you don't yeah well i'll give you a couple you said that (laughs) I was lied to to start this. Go on, Alex. Oh, okay, that's I, fine. That's fine. I was going to continue, but if you want to jump in, <laughs> um, like I think that you know, there's the the first basic 
things that that come up in terms of logistically like there's the idea that it's a small population over the large size i mentioned so it just becomes a matter of uh you know if you look at like the uk i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna play england you can go from town to town it's not you don't have to drive for 12 hours Mm -hmm. right so there's you can have more of a career that there can um, it can be a little bit more vibrant in that way um, where people can make a real living and and there's also kind of more of a tension. I mean that's a that's also a culture where they have uh, where theater is in their blood and bones where you know that they, they they have a real respect for live performance in that way where isn't uh, you know in Canada you know we're relatively young and we don't necessarily have the same kind of uh, view overall like you know there are there's you know theater and it's funny because you know the, the, you can get a theater grant you're not going to get a stand-up grant that's true right <laughs> true in canada you know uh but there's also the influence of the america right so there's that idea that uh you know we want to kind of they were always looking to america in terms of what this is american credits account for more than you know like if you're yeah. if you look at if you look at who's playing in the clubs now you know m- most of the good spots are taken by people who have american credits right so yeah. that's gonna you know and stand up as well and and so um there's all that uh, and then there's also the whole, you know, the socialist thing, the so, you know, the the subsidized TV and whatever that does, and and the idea of of having to represent a culture, and then you have to define what that culture is, and the culture is usually defined by uh, rural areas and not big cities, you know. If 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 you know, usually there's always the repetition of of hockey and beer and it's always like it's always like blue collar kind of things and 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 there's a resentment for big cities like everyone hates toronto you don't get that in america right there's no when you you know a lot of things are set in new york and la and that's cool it's not like right i mean i say that now and yet we the red states have spoken but uh <laughs> right but but you know there's there's like a lot of these kind of different reasons but i do feel that the american that big brother american influence of like oh the you know we, we Look at look what they're doing, and and you know you have sometimes you see these TV shows on Canada where they try to re- they try to mimic a uh, an American sitcom by having it look glitzy and stuff, but it's got no soul and it's not funny and it's not very good. Right. You know, it's it's and often it's you know partly because of um, a lot of reasons. Sometimes too many cooks in the kitchen and too many executives get having their terrible opinions and whatever. Right. I'm clearly I'm 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 a person who's not looking to ever work again in Canada, but <laughs> but digging a grave. But I'm just but I'm just I'm just calling it like what yeah. I see and, and and in terms of what I like to watch. Um, whereas you look at like Australia, which is a lot is kind of like Canada in terms of the large um, land mass of the small population, but they don't have that that uh, influence, that negative influence of a larger country next to it. So they can kind of maintain more of their own culture. They also have their own sound. They sound different. Mm-hmm. We kind of sound like Americans. Right. So there's that too. And then so they sometimes will take risks. You'll sometimes get interesting things coming out of out of uh, those countries like australia or new zealand or something like that whereas canada is sort of trying to emulate a bit too much american and so so it's so funny because here canada is being subsidized by you know in some ways and so therefore you almost think like well if you're subsidized then you don't have to worry so much about uh about about um um ratings right right which is clear because look at them but uh i (laughs) but but so therefore take advantage of that and do something that's so different you know, and then you'll you'll then look more I- appealing to the world stage in terms of like, oh, there's some interesting things coming out of Canada instead of trying to l- do something that the cool big brother is doing. Right. Um, and so I think that's a, a loss of an opportunity is that Canada occasionally will do something a little odd, 
but it's not often enough. And um, generally, they're too scared. And generally, you know, just generally people also who are in charge, you know, how do they get there? <laughs> yeah, true. It's a, it's a good point because I never really looked at it that way. You're right. When you have stuff that's subsidized, it's like you're not depending as much on advertisements and all those things. I mean, they are to a degree, but there is kind of a safety net already kind of built in there to kind of like, well, let's roll the dice and throw some at the wall and see if it sticks. Yeah. And if it doesn't, we're going to be okay anyway. Like, we're t it's taken care of. Right. Uh, but that, that just isn't the case. The other thing, too, is like there's just so many networks in America where if you have an idea, there's, a po there's just a greater possibility – that someone out there somewhere who has a network could go, that will be a perfect fit for our but network. It, but when you have these just three staple networks, ABC, NBC, yeah. CBS, I mean, it was a smaller pool. You had three pools to get in. If you didn't fit into those pools, and here in Canada, we have even less. You know, so that's, a great, that's a great point, actually, because you know? that, that was one experience I had. I remember pitching an idea to a production company who, in Canada who were interested in doing some stuff with me, and then I pitched an idea, and um, and they were like, we're trying to, tr they were trying to figure out where to place it, and they said, ah, it's too bad, it's too bad. They, you know, this would be perfect on like the USA network, like a specific cable network, <laughs> you know, because it felt like it felt like it fit within that their sensibilities of what they made, yeah. and at that time, and I th and I thought. There you go. And it's funny that it's actually called the USA Network. It was, all, it was almost like you were saying, why don't you just get out of here? Yeah, you should go. You should go. We've, <laughs> you got, should go. we've got a ticket for you at the door. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> we can't use it, but we know who can. Yeah, they're, yeah. Uh, they're waiting at the airport yeah, for you. Yeah, unfortunately, no, they didn't know who can. That was the uh, – <laughs> but, but it, you know, that, that does happen where you kind of – and then some, sometimes people will tailor – what they have in order to fit with what America or sorry, what, what Canada is looking for. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a weird thing. It's, you know, you see comedians all the time who now get an opportunity, a television opportunity, and they have this idea. And like we talked about before is that the beautiful thing about being a standup is that you get to create material, generate it, do it the way you want to do it. You have complete autonomy doing it. Mm -hmm. And TV is the complete opposite of that for the most part, unless you get one of these sweet Louis C.K. deals where right. you get full, you get carte blanche to do whatever you want and yeah. cast it and edit it and all those things. Yeah. Most people don't get that. You are cast in something. You are to do these words this way. And even if it's your idea, it's like, we're also going to bring in three other writers to help you with yeah. your idea. Yeah, it's yeah. like, well, uh, I kind of am good. It's, uh, and I've heard guys have those conversations where they're like, this original idea and then six months later, it looks nothing like their original idea because a bunch of people have stepped in and put their mark on it because they deserve they're trying to earn a paycheck as well. So they have to put their influence on it. And now the person who had the original idea, the comedian doesn't even want to put their name to it because it's like, that's not what I what I came up with. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. Like, what is this show that you've just made in front of my eyes? You took my baby. And you made it. What's that saying about uh, a horse but built by committee is a mule or whatever? Oh, it's, right. Yeah, yeah. It's like right, that kind of thing. You just it, it, too many cooks again, I guess, kind of thing. So there's that danger, too, all the time. And now you're right. Do you even want what's at the end of the, the road now? You know, it's right. not going to be your original idea. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's what's funny is that that happens so consistently. And yet um, some of the, like if you look historically, what are the greatest uh, critical and and um, commercial successes? They often are the ones that were where the original creator w was given a, l a little bit more of the reins on the vision, right? Yeah. Like you look at HBO and and how people love their programming so much, and and that's what they're defined by is is allowing the 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 vision of the creator to come through, uh, and yet somehow nobody really wants to copy that. Everybody's always scared and they're clinging to you know they they 
kind of want to uh, get a firm grip, a firm hold on, on the idea so that way it doesn't run away and maybe fail. It's like, yeah, but maybe also you're making it fail by gripping too hard. And, yeah. You know, and, and even, and same with the, you mentioned the UK and like interesting things coming out of that. I mean, okay, so first of all, that was the other thing about the UK, which is interesting, is that they have a, they have a nice little kind of system where you can start off being a live act and then if you get enough popularity from that, then they give you a radio show and then you kind of develop as a radio show. And then from there, then they give you a TV show and that allows an artist to develop in a way that is a nice, you don't just go boom, you're on TV. It's, it's like you radio is a nice kind of safe space to develop how you sound in a recorded medium. And then you could then take that to TV, and that 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 kind of works nicely. And plus, building an audience as you yeah, go. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, well, uh, yeah, exactly. Building an audience in without putting too much pressure in each stage. And yet, I remember, I remember somebody telling me that uh, they were at a um, some conference in Canada, and and somebody asked. Uh, uh, about the the you know what about what they're doing? It may have been actually been like a just for laughs panel thing where they were talking to like some executive from Canadian. So what about the the BBC model? What about that? And, and they were like, yeah, we know what they do at BBC. Okay, like is the, like they took it <laughs> defensively. It's like, oh, okay. Well, if you know and you see that it works, then uh, how about uh, maybe give it a shot? And, uh, no, we're good. With, yes. uh, we do, we're doing. So that's what you, sometimes you're up against is people who. Um, are kind of insecure, maybe, is what it is. I don't know. Well, I, I always thought the transition to, like, to go from the stand-up world into the TV world, I remember doing a commercial for the first time, and I couldn't believe that just, like, the different um, treatment. Like, you know, you go from the stand-up world where you're, you start off playing these rough bars and, you know, rough gigs, and it's like, you're just there fighting for your life. Like, you're not yeah. pampered in any way, shape, or form. Then you get on the set for a commercial... And people are dropping terms like the talent, and uh, <laughs> you just sit over there eating fruit, drinking coffee, and uh, yeah, we're not going to need you till later today. It's uh, g- like I couldn't believe the level of treatment, how different it was from night and day. And I actually remember feeling uncomfortable. I was at a at, at one thing, and I had like a an assistant who was their job was just to whatever I needed, they were to get. So like, if I needed a coffee, I remember I walked across the room to get a cup of coffee, and she's like, "Oh no, 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 you sit down, I'll get that." I'm like. I can walk across the room and get a cup of coffee. It's right there. But again, she had to justify this paycheck and her job role. And no, 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 that's my job. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not comfortable with this at all. Like it was really unnerving for me. Mm -hmm. And and I realized then like how, besides the live aspect of, you know, live performance that your standups do. And this is TV where it's, you know, we take a take, we do it again. We move cameras. Like it's a very slow process in that regard. But just that overall vibe of, of how you're treated, that was a big, big jump for me. Like, yeah. I was really uncomfortable with it. Yeah, see, that's where you and I differ. <laughs> I, I take great comfort in, in being treated well. <laughs> oh, I don't look at you, Mr. Silver Spoon. Yeah, okay. yeah no, that's a problem. No, it's a problem that was all rusty uh, <laughs> when I was growing up. So now <laughs> you want that silver spoon. Yeah, change of pace would be nice. Where's my spoon? Uh, uh, yeah, it it just was very different. And I, it was funny because after doing that and doing a few commercials, I actually kind of understood actors a little bit more, like mm-hmm. people who were actors first. Right. I kind of understood that world a little bit more then because I go, oh, okay, that's what you expect going in. I expect none of that going in. So to me, it's all gratitude and like, oh, my God, look at this. Are those, are those fresh bananas? Yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I was just yeah. small things were a yeah. big deal to me. Well, yeah, and then you, so you come in looking like some bumpkin who doesn't, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, geez, I, am, I, am I allowed to have some of this? <laughs> How yeah. much for the coffees? 
who's free. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Who's stra- yeah, you're the you're the guy who's starting to pocket. Uh, you know, exactly. You're used to uh, you know being with comics on the road who are bringing their gym bag down to the buffet, and uh, that's right. <laughs> just gonna shovel some roast beef into that thing. <laughs> it's like, sir, you you can go back and have as much as you get. Ah, that'll be fine. I'll just jam it into my Adidas gym bag here. I've got a three more nights of touring. I'd like to make sure I've got adequate protein. <laughs> And you know, what, like we, you, because you, comedy is the, the other world. It's always, it's a, um, it's a, it's a non-have world. It's a trying to scrape by. I mean, there's the old, you know, the old urban legends of guys making uh, Chef Boyardee in the coffee pot in the hotel room because yeah. they're trying to stretch their dollars and all those things. And and TV is more of a world of abundance. It's more of a world of, yeah, that's just there if you want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know people don't. We have this bottle of water that costs nine bucks a bottle that maybe one person is going to drink. You know, like it just seems these budgets have these things built in. And the comedy world, when you start especially, is the complete opposite of that. Oh yeah. You know? Well, I mean, you're. I mean, you're sort of there to help sell booze and chicken wings, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, it's the, well, it's you know, it's the lowest rung of show business. It's amazing. To me. So that's why you got to, you know, you use it to get to another rung. Yeah. And then sometimes after you're up at the other rung for a little while, you come back to it because yeah. that, that rung is now, you've worn that rung out. <laughs> well, like you said earlier, all things are a price. And I've always felt like I'm a comedian first. Like I think regardless of where I'm going to go in my career, I'm always going to have that desire and urge to be on stage and perform live in front of an audience and do my thing the way I want to do it. I think I'm always going to want to do that. Like I cannot see that ever not being a part of my future. Whereas I know some people saw stand-up comedy as it was a platform with which to get to another place. And I'm sure you see a lot of that in Los Angeles. You have actors who just kind of go out I and they see that seven minutes. And I see that when I look in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you t- talk about that a little bit. Like you, you, you know, you said to me before we started recording that you really did see yourself as, you know, stand-up comedy would be a vehicle for you to be a writer and to make to make movies. To make well, right, yeah, writing. Like, well, writing and performing. I mean, I kind of thought like, oh, you know, I'll do do stand-up for a while and then I'll be like in a sitcom kind of thing, you know. But mm-hmm. uh, it's funny because I think around the time that I was, I had enough experience where that was a possibility. Is right around reality TV broke. And right. and there was like that was it. There was like no. There were fewer and fewer sitcoms being made. Like it was really my timing uh, was uh, ideal for that. <laughs> yeah, um, you're like yeah. But uh, but I you know I ended up getting into writing just to supplement the stand up and all that. So I've but the writing I did was mostly what was available in Canada easily, which was like animation writing and yeah, it was kind of fun and easy and portable. Which is I just took it to L A. and kind of would write, continue to write for Canadian animated shows while I was in L.A. as I was kind of establishing myself down there. And, and that was good. You know, It actually kind of got me into other things, too. I went in for a writing job, and I ended up getting a, a, a voice uh, job that lasted. Like, I did a season of, uh, of, a sh- of a show where I did, like, two dozen voices uh, for an animated wow. show. So that was fun. And that, there you go. That's an example of I was in L.A. I wasn't, you know, I was there... I was there just trying to figure out what I can kind of get myself into. And this was actually, again, I went down to L.A. right when, uh, six months before they had a writer's strike. Once again. Good time. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I've, I really hit them right Nailed on the mark. Oh, I always do. I always do. And, uh, and, then, and, then, uh, and then, you know, after that blew over and I kind of was able to, to weather that storm. Um, yeah, I went in. I kind of found out about a writing job through somebody I knew in Canada. And I went in and uh, ironically, I didn't really get the writing job, but I got a voice job that was way more fun. And and that was that wouldn't happen if I was in, if I was in Toronto doing the exact same thing, writing for animation. Uh, it was because I was in the office, in you know, uh, 
wherever it was, Sherman Oaks, I think, or something like that. Right. So, um, <laughs> and I, I went in the office, and the guy, and it was literally as I was leaving, I had my hand on the door, and he's like, "Do you by any chance do voices?" But well, uh, yeah, of course I do voices. I, uh, I'm I like, have a voice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like thinking. I'm thinking. Yeah, I've wanted to do this for years. Sure, I'll do it. <laughs> and and uh, and he brought me in and he gave me a little uh, some sides of a script and just kind of uh, some bear. And I started riffing, trying to get the voice from the reading the lines. And he's looking at me, and I can tell he's not, maybe I'm not quite getting it. And then I modulate my voice a bit, and then he's like, "Oh, yeah, that's good." And then he walks me down the hall into like this booth that they set up inside the office space and had me read the lines. And he said, uh, yeah, I'll, um, I'll probably be calling you back in for just, you know, like whatever other random things. And for the next few months, I was just, he'd bring me in and just, I just, he'd just say, here, can you make a voice for this? And I just do all these different voices. Ton of fun. He was great guy, fun, laughing, having a great time. One of the most fun jobs I ever got. Wow. And I just fell into it. And that, there you go. Like that's a, that's like, that's a Hollywood story. There you go. That's an L.A. job. Yeah, yes. that's an L.A. job. So that that's the kind of thing that, you know, that's one of the reasons to, to live in a place like that. I, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Further, too, I think, to I, one of the things I realize in this business, and I think in a lot of areas of work and business, is that trust is such a big part of it. Like, talent's out there. People are talented. People are not talented, whatever. But relationships over time and and just trust with someone that someone can a do the job b that someone's not going to be an asshole that they're going to be punctual they're going to show up on time they're going to be professional right um i think i don't think that's given enough credit and enough service well to be honest that was one of the things he said was that you know part of the reason he liked working with me because he liked work with me he liked he yeah. liked me he, he he liked my attitude he it was fun to work with and you know I, I did the job well enough I mean it was my first job and uh, in that in that realm and uh, for me that was uh, you know that that also um, that also cemented that idea that just good to be good person to hang out with <laughs> yeah, it's true like in, in comedy you hear that all the time it's you know people will ask what's if you're funny you're working with comedian a the first thing you'll ask is what are they like or right. what's she like right I don't mean comedically I mean like what are they like as a person yeah uh, the comedy part's fine. I hope they're funny. That's great. But I like. What are they like as a person? Because you may have to spend six days in a car driving through northern PC. I, right. I mean, I was really fortunate that that, that I, you ended up being the guy that I hooked up with when I got yeah. to the West Coast. I mean, because I you were really fortunate. That's, I, uh, that's, I mean, I think you, you couldn't have done it. no guy. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't think of a better person. Well, to be honest, I mean, I mean, of the people, because. There, it's not often in comedy that that guys are sort of energetic and they keep the energy going and it's kind of in a fun way. It's often that they're kind. It's a lot of bitching often. Yeah, that's right. Right. It's a lot of like. Talk, it's a lot of what I'm doing right now with you. <laughs> right. I mean, we started with the anger, the resentment. The... We started off with like about two minutes of like fun riffing, and then it just immediately <laughs> went into. And I'll tell you what else is wrong I'll with the business. Something else wrong with this country. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Uh... So, so in a way, like that was refreshing. It was refreshing and continues to be. I don't think, to be honest, you you are kind of a rare bird in that way. Uh, well, I yeah. don't know. I, you know. I, I, I think that in stand up, I mean, I find like sketch artists, improvisers are sometimes annoyingly, you know, that just sketch don't. artists I find sometimes are kind of fun because they're not quite as annoying as improvisers. They're not as they're, they're a little more optimistic, not as dreary as stand ups can be sometimes. Right. Um, and they're, don't, don't get me wrong. There's some great fun stand ups, but um, they tend to be sort of more emotionally withdrawn. 
Right. Right. You tend to be a little bit more hard on your sleeve kind of a guy. Yeah. So that's kind of that makes it refreshing. Yeah. This I know that this uh, podcast is not supposed to be about let's break down Trent, but uh, actually it's 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 called the generators dot dot. Let's break down Trent. Is the actual <laughs> generate and break down. That's what we do here. We break it down. We generate it. We break it down again. Exactly. That's, uh, yeah. that's how we roll. It's a good here. cycle. It's a good cycle. I, it's funny that you say that because my first road trip was with uh, uh, Jocko Alston, who passed away a number of years ago. Uh-huh. And I remember thinking that exact same thing. The gig we did was horrible. But I remember I had so much fun on the car ride up and the car ride back. But I got back to Calgary the next day, and I couldn't wait to go back on stage again. When really, I should have been in the dumps of how I just spent 18 hours in a car on an ice-covered highway for $50, <laughs> most of which went towards gasoline. And it's like, how am I still wanting to go on stage? And it was because of who I was with. This person really enjoyed doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. They enjoyed the camaraderie of having someone in the car with them and doing those things. Like that's invaluable like mm-hmm. and especially now i thought about it afterwards when i'm working with comics who may be new that this is an important interaction this interaction right now may shape their decision to continue onward or to pack it in and go eh, this isn't for me wow and uh, when you when you put it that way i just think about all the people who i've probably <laughs> managed to squeeze out of the business just because of the way i've been talking about it you get in the car don't look me in the eyes kid <laughs> It's Mr. Nussbaum. Yeah. Thank you. All right. I if you listen, you learn. Okay, so uh, <laughs> shut it and open those ears. And I work the music, just so you know. All right, don't touch, don't touch the iPod. <laughs> My bags are going to lift themselves, kid. All right, here we go. Yeah, nothing but death metal and EDM all the way. <laughs> but it, 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 and again, it's. I think that's for any line of work. People enjoy working around people. Who are nice people. People enjoy it. It just makes things go easier. And then when tough times do hit or you're going through some kind of thing, some kind of adverse moment, it's just a little easier to get through because you're with someone who you kind of enjoy being around. But I've seen comedians who, you know, have walked into a comedy club like they're the shit. Mm -hmm. I'm the show. Where's my drink? Hey, uh, like, you know, they're talking to the server in a tone that's not necessarily respectful or the manager or whatever it is. There's a bit of a sense of entitlement there, and I'm like, I don't know if you'll ever be back here again. Like that's I a guess, fact. I guess, yeah. I mean, I mean, it depends on what level you are. At. I mean, unfortunately, there is no um, meritocracy when it comes to nice people in the business. I mean, nice people and not so nice people can excel. Oh yes, because sometimes if you're, you know, if you're a bit of a, if you're an egotistical prick, then then it also means that you you will reflect or no, sorry. Uh, um, Project, project, not reflect, but project a certain kind of sense of of worth that people will sometimes they'll fall in line. They'll think, oh, well, this person must be mm-hmm. pretty great. And then sometimes I feel like you can convince people that that you're um, worthy of your attitude. I think that can happen just because I mean there are just because there are pricks in the business. Yeah, but I've always felt in a comedy club, for example, like unless you're an actual draw and you're drawing people yeah. to the club itself, like. I guess I'm, I guess well, I'm talking about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you know, everyone was expendable. It's like, and you know, you're expendable because guess what? This club is open the other 51 weeks of the year that you're not here. Right. <laughs> like there's another comedian coming in to take your place next week. So don't get too big on yourself that you, hey, on the show, yeah, yeah, and we got 51 other weeks of shows yeah. and you ain't on them. So yeah. let's let's get off your horse here and yeah. just go over there and get out of the way. Like mm-hmm. that's something you should uh, learn to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're, you know, further to your point about just being 
just being courteous, being polite, being nice, those things can get you a long way. And I don't mean, you know, we've both seen people who may not have, you may look at them on a talent level and go like, wow, was, you know, that's, uh, he's really uh, swinging above his weight there. That's uh, right. whatever, but super nice person, works really hard. Well, it's funny you should say that, cause I, but I also think that it goes that, it goes that way for a reason, right? It's like sometimes, I, I remember one time uh, a comic in L.A. said, uh, uh, and I'm not saying this to kind of toot my own horn, but I just it, it just tells you something that that he's he said, uh, yeah, you know, it's weird. You're like the, you're like a nice guy, but you're like also funny. Like well, you know what I mean? I mean like you, you couldn't have the two together. Yeah, so like usually, yeah, usually you're nice. <laughs> you're usually nice because you're overcompensating. Right. You want to be like. You want to make sure that they you know they'll bring you back because he's a good guy. He's nice to have around. Yeah. Versus if you're really funny, then you don't have to worry about. You don't yeah. have to bother. It'll speak for itself. Funny. You, you, yeah, it's funny. I can see what you're saying. You could be in a green room somewhere before a show starts and someone's really nice and you could start to, to formulate an opinion about them comedically. Like, ah, probably not that funny. You no. know what I mean? Just because they were polite That's and it. nice and struck up a conversation. Yeah, when you, you look at somebody who seems eagerly trying to be nice, right. it really does make you wonder, uh-oh. Okay. Well, and maybe that's what happened when the guy saw me off stage, and I was, you know, I'm just kind of being gregarious, and right. and, and he's like, he's like, oh, you know, and then they get suspicious. They're like, oh, what's this what's guy? Going on there? Oh god, this guy's not. Gonna, he's going to eat it on stage, and then he sees it. Oh, well, those are jokes. Yeah, exactly. I find it uh, interesting too. Like when I first started in stand up, was like the level of of insecurity and anxiety that was like so prevalent around comedians. Like you realize. You realize it was there, but also that it was contagious, and you can quickly absorb all that anxiety. And you're now you you may have walked in very relaxed and very very composed, and 15 minutes later you're like, I don't know if I should open with that joke. That's uh, I should uh, I should rewrite all this stuff because you've just absorbed. Like if you went to a showcase, for example, yeah. for a big festival, and you're walking around, and all these people are looking down at their shoes and they're breathing, and it's like you can't help but absorb that. Yeah, like that's, that's true. so you had to I had to learn over time to go. Okay, when I walk in these rooms. Prepare yourself for what you're going to walk into. Yeah. This isn't going to be a normal show night. This is going to be a night of, of, of a lot of anxiety, people stressed out, people probably overreacting. I've seen people crying. I've seen people yes. freaking out because they can't remember their set list. Like the amount of just weight people put on their shoulders, it's like, you know what? You can go up and crush it or you can go up and bomb. It may not make a difference. You may still get it That's if true. you bomb or if you crush, you still might not get yeah, it. Yeah, so, true. But I've always, I remember sitting there going, whoa, this is a lot. Yeah, you've got to you've got to be able to detach yourself. Maybe an extra ten minutes of meditation that morning for there you. There you go. Thank you very um, much. That's a call back to a conversation we did not have on the podcast. That is but, correct. But uh, but it's funny. Yeah, meditation actually helped because it's it's not only just in the moment of meditating that you feel this sense of kind of clarity and quietness, but also throughout the rest of the day you're a little bit more mindful of when you do start slipping into those moments of wow i feel a little anxious and why do i feel like you start asking yourselves questions whereas rather than just going with the emotion and burying yourself in it you go wait a second did i eat today or did i have enough water or did i drink too much coffee today or mm, am i kind of nervous because i got this spot on the show like you just can pull back a little bit and be that third eye and kind of self self-regulate yourself a little mm -hmm, bit whereas mm -hmm. before i didn't i didn't know how to do that i was just in it and and you know you felt like it was almost like you were powerless somewhat and uh, yeah i think that i think that um if we're gonna go down the self-help let's, let's do that i think that the way a good sometimes a good way to detach is just to look is to actually just kind of literally emotionally pull yourself back to look at the environment around you and just treat it as though you're just watching like a show or whatever you're 
it's almost like you're you know the uh, he, you're the hero in your own story where you're just looking at these characters and look at how they play, and not necessarily absorb their energy but just observe their energy without necessarily attaching an importance to how they're feeling to just kind of look and go oh wow look at the, what's going on over there and 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 because i think we naturally, you know, especially if you're a sensitive person, which some artists may be, mm-hmm. you know, you tend to take on what they feel. You become this empath of like whatever it is that they're going through, and then and then it, it starts to affect you. But if you look at it almost kind of with the with with that de- detached observ- observational eye of, oh, hmm, look at that thing over there. Look at that. I mean, it, in some ways, it's a bit sociopathic, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's useful and uh yeah yeah i think that um that oh and another thing here's a little tip uh, here's a little kind of like you know the tip for the listeners I, uh, I think i picked this up for one of those ted talk radio podcasts i don't know if you if you're allowed to like talk about ted, ted, ted i don't know if you're allowed to talk about other podcasts on this That's podcast but uh, uh, i'll plug another podcast yeah. i think it was the one called uh going going slow or something it's about being slow i remember there's somebody who was talking about just slowing down that just the act of, of even I find that when I feel a bit anxious about something, it is a little bit like that meditative moment where you just take a step back and look around. Is that if I feel, let's say for some reason I'm feeling like a little anxious about going on stage and I'm kind of like, you know, not sure how I'm going to open or whatever it is that somehow for some reason in that moment I'm feeling that way. If I just tell myself to slow down and let, it, let my thoughts slow down and just let me think of like, oh, I'll just do this and then I'll follow, follow up that or follow that up with this and then. Kind of just look at it very calmly and slow and literally slow down my movements. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a reset. I find that that anxiety sometimes just just melts away just by telling myself slow down, and then I kind of go back. I, I may physically slow down and then go back up to my regular pace, but at least it's this moment that I can I take a break for myself. Yeah, you're not hitting the ground just running out of control. It's kind of it's much more controlled and like obviously breathing helps with that. They sit, you know, people say like if you took three or four just major deep breaths, that will force you to just kind of slow down and also focus on the breathing kind of things. Um, but people walk up there. I mean, I, I've been to festivals where, you know, I, I've been following somebody and you're, you know, both of you are in the waiting area waiting to go on. And the person ahead of you is like just a bag of nerves. Right. And I'll have to leave the room because sure. I'm like, I can't, I can't be around that sure. right now. Like I, I don't want to go out there with that level of anxiety. I just want to relax and chill out yeah. and and not put the weight of the world on my shoulders when I'm going up there. Because it's, I mean, at the end of the day, we're not trying to save a life. We're literally going up there to just make people laugh. And so, and the other thing, a trick that I've learned to do is also to not think about myself. To actually just go, there's people who came, they want to have a good night out. It's not about me. And so when I don't think about me, there's less stress and anxiety. It's more just That's about good. how awesome is this? These people have come. They want to laugh. They're here for a good time. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants you to go up and eat it. They're mm-hmm. all here because they want to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes to a movie because they want to enjoy it. So when you go to a comedy show, you go because you want to laugh. Like yeah. they're already. So it's kind of starting with them already being with you as opposed to I have to win them over. Right. That's a very different mindset of like, I, oh, I hope they like me and I hope I'm funny and all those things. To me, it's like you're already minus five. Why not start plus five? Like they're yeah. no, they're already here for. They've come across town. They've got babysitters. They've driven. They've parked their cars. They've paid money to come see a show. That's that's all five, four or five positive things that are already leading them to having a good time. You know. Yeah, and it's only until after uh, like the first or the third failed punchline that you can start to panic <laughs> and wonder what the hell's wrong with these people and why 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 are they here to? I thought they were here to laugh. I mean, what what about, what about the what about the parking the car and the babysitter thing? I mean. Uh, 
Oh, McClellan's full of it. I, I tried all that stuff. None of that worked up here. <laughs> that still helped remotely. I'll tell you what did help, that hockey helmet. I took a bottle to the head there, and I, that saved a life. <laughs> if, you want, if you're going to give some advice, why don't you give that advice out there? Where was that one? Number six? Huh? Where was that thing? Oh, you left that off the list. It's... Uh... <laughs> But I think you're right, and we talked about it before we started recording about mindset, like before you go on stage. And I, I remember saying this to someone before. I've never felt so alone in my life as I did the first time I was going to get introduced to go on stage. I was at an open mic amateur night, and I remember the MC saying, this is this guy's first time ever on stage. And I mean, I don't know if there's a more lonely moment in your life because you know right. this is about to happen. Right. And you can't run and you can't hide. Yeah. And all this joking around with your buddies on the side, that's all gone. Right. It's just going to be you yeah. and the lights and the microphone. And to this day, when I watch someone go on stage and they introduce them as this is their first time, I still feel that anxiety for them. Uh -huh. Like, I cannot turn that off. Yeah. I'm actually literally nervous because I, I think I go right back. It's a trigger for me to go right back to when I had that moment and it's terrifying it yeah. really is terrifying that's funny because i i don't know i don't know if i was very terrified i don't to be honest i don't really remember vividly you just blacked out what it felt like was, <laughs> yeah all i remember is that is that the tunnel vision started to close in they went yeah. alex and then it was dark i woke up at a hospital and uh, they're like mr Nussbaum, mr yeah. Nussbaum, someone's yeah. slapping your cheek Beep. 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 i mean i do remember that I do remember the drip. I do remember the uh, uh, the IV drip that kept me. <laughs> <laughs> and then I look at no nerves, no nerves whatsoever. I look look up through through a hazy lens at this nurse. How did I do? <laughs> you think you think they'll book me? <laughs> All right, sir. If you could just uh, stay stay laying down, sir. <laughs> you think I got a future in the business? Did I go over my time? Uh, <laughs> just keep stressing that. You don't think you were nervous your first time, or do you recall um, what your I'm first sure I was, time? I'm sure I was. I'm sure I was nervous. I don't know if I was that kind of cripplingly nervous. That's all. Okay. I I, I remember thinking if I can just get my legs to move myself to that microphone, right. I'm gonna be okay. But I remember feeling like you know people say your knees are shaking. I'd never had that moment in my life until that night where I went something very. Um, Something very visceral hit me in that moment of like, yo, something big is about to happen. Like it was that right. moment. Yeah. And I, I heard a really, I read a really cool interview with uh, Bruce Springsteen in Rolling Stone years ago. And Bruce Springsteen said that before he goes on stage, he still has that tingly feeling, that bit of a nervous stomach. And he said it's a good thing for him because it means a, I'm sober, so that means I'm very aware of where I am and what's happening, and that b something very very cool is about to happen it's a it's a sense of awareness sense right. of being in the moment right. and he goes it all goes away the minute i pick up a guitar because the minute i pick up the guitar he goes that goes away but there's always that sense of something's at stake tonight and that's a really cool feeling but it also frames it in a very positive light as opposed to nerves and stage fright yeah. and all those negative things yeah. associated with it it's like no no something great's about to happen and your body is just reacting to what it perceives is going to be a great thing mm -hmm. in a few moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. I think that um, definitely you could frame it, frame those things positively as though, or I've heard it also described as you know means that I still care kind of thing. You know yeah. like that kind of thing. And personally, um, I do remember my knees knocking um, m when I uh, had my bar mitzvah. Uh, that was 
when I uh, really, yeah, actually, <laughs> I, actually, it was it was actually my brother telling me afterwards. <laughs> really, he, told yeah, he, he says, "Yeah, I could see under the beam of the podium." <laughs> <laughs> your knees shaking really while I was singing. I, I sang beautifully, according to my mother, but uh, but I but I was uh, I, I, I do remember. Right, huh? being, no, that's I, his knees. I remember being nervous, but that was when I was thirteen. I got that out of the way. Uh, did a bunch of years of uh, improv. I think that's what it was. I did like improv for fun for a while, right? And so when I went on stage to do stand up. I mean, I already knew that I had some stage experience, so I didn't. It wasn't that the nervousness of like, oh, what's it like to be on stage? And you know, I kind of partly got out of improv because I didn't, at the level I was at, I didn't love working with some of the people that I was working with. Right. So it was almost like, oh, I'm free to just be as funny as I can without these other people holding me back. Right. I mean, you know, that's not to say that there aren't great improvisers. I just never got to that level. So. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I think being a black guy in an all-white town for me got me used to being uh, stared at and being right, in front of people and right. just uh, being in the center of attention. And I, I say that jokingly, but also somewhat seriously. Like, it was almost like stand-up and sport before that allowed me to have some kind of power, at least, of being okay. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the center of attention anyway. So at least now I'll have some control over being that center of attention. I'll at least get to dictate somewhat. No, well, that's why and, we do it. Huh? Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and that's what you know. What's that whole adage of like we've all all performers have had a hole blown in them or whatever it is, and so this is an attempt to try and fill that hole with with some, with the admiration of strangers in some way, shape, or form. So there's probably a little bit of truth to that too. I think you know you. It is a weird feeling. Like, I, this hit me maybe last year, I remember. I don't know why, but just the concept of walking into a room full of strangers and thinking, oh, I'm just going to walk up there and say a bunch of things with the purpose of making these people laugh. Like the concept of stand-up comedy hit me as being such a unnatural it thing. Is, yeah. Like it really, really That's is. That's why people look at it and go, I don't know what the hell you're doing and how you do it. Yeah. And I, but I always felt like, well, it's just – how we're wired and born and DNA and all that stuff. But then I don't know what it was this last year. I went, it is insane. It really, <laughs> it really yeah. is insane. Like I've pulled up to like community halls in small town, Alberta and just sat in my car and I'm, I'm walking in there by myself. I'm not with any other comedians. It's just going to be me. And I'm going to walk in that That's room. Crazy, huh? I'm going to introduce myself to someone. They're going to go, there's the stage. And I'm going to walk up there and try and make these people laugh for an hour and change. It's crazy. It's insane. Yeah. It really, really is insane. And and the amazing thing about it as a comedian is sometimes you walk into it and you're, all of your receptors are telling you this is a bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, do you know what? I, I, I heard um, an interesting theory as to why it is that um, public speaking is like the most feared thing is because um, it's, it's, a, it's a fight or flight instinct based on the fact that we are wired – to want to flee if eyes are on us. Mm -hmm. So if a predator is looking, staring at you, chances are it's about to pounce on you. So mm -hmm. now imagine, if you will, a room full of predators all staring at you at once. That's why people feel like, oh, I'd rather be dead, thanks. Yeah, that's a good point. I never so, thought about yeah, that. I never thought, yeah, I never thought of it that way too. But, but it, I mean, that physically makes sense, the idea of like a bunch of eyes staring at you. Your prey. Your, yeah, your instinctual reaction is... Get me the hell out of here. Yeah, I'm prey. And I've been, I, I've been noticed, and it's not good. It, this could end horribly. <laughs> no, no, it's <laughs> going to be a meal. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. So imagine how insane it is to now 
seek that out on a nightly basis and to feel also a level of comfort with it where you're like i actually need this i actually require but i mean that's that's like the equivalent of jumping out of a plane it's like some people i'd never do that that's nuts but uh, that's the thing right (laughs) yes this is this is our jumping out of a plane it's it's the idea of jumping out of a plane it's sort of people crave it rather than because you're because once you've uh once, once you've you've uh, uh, what's the word for what when you when the when there's a fear and you and you you get past it anyway, oh God, I've never had that happen. But anyway. I uh, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know what that is. That's a call a uh, a fantasy. That's yes. uh, because that never happens. I uh, yeah, usually I have words. A breakthrough. A, um, no, it's fine. No, it should be fine. Conquer. Let's say you conquer. Your fear. I will fix it in post. Okay. I, so, uh, so so put this in. When you conquer your fear. <laughs> Then I guess once you're past that, there's a sense of power, right? Correct. There would be. You've conquered death. Subconsciously, you yeah. never feel more alive. Never feel more alive. Anyway, playing. that wraps up this. Well, uh, guys, it's a feel-good <laughs> podcast. The best. Uh, <laughs> I like. I like the guest taking control and wrapping up. Yeah. It's a you open well, it. Well, that's enough. Clo- I, I'll close it. <laughs> I thank my guest, Trent McClellan. What? <laughs> Uh, I thought, okay, well, just, he just kind of took the podcast over, and now it's his. But uh, um, I told a comedian once, he was super nervous, it was his first time on stage, and I said to him, I said, what if you reframed it this way? It was like literally minutes to showtime, and I said, what if I told you you weren't on the show anymore? You, you're, 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 someone's taking your spot, how would you feel? And they're like, I'd be devastated. I go, remember that. That's good. You know what I mean? Like if I took this away from you, you yeah. you'd be... You'd feel like you missed out, like you'd feel resentful. So you clearly want this. So it's about to happen what you want. So just go into it with that mindset as opposed to, I'm scared, I'm terrified, I'm whatever. It's like, no, no, you want this, remember? That's good, that's good. On the other hand. Until it happens and goes horribly, and of course, uh, we we should have moved. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, like, from, like, an old Grizzled Comics point of view of, like, on the other hand, when they cancel a show that you'd rather not do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's, there's that too at the comedy club with the six people. Like, yeah, it's yeah. gonna be canceled, right? Well, lights are down. Oh, here we go. God, I got a nice, here. I got a nice little night ahead of me. All right, what are we gonna do? Maybe go catch a, a movie. Okay, you guys ready? What? What do you mean? Are we ready? There's six people. Yeah. Oh yeah, more than we thought. Yeah. All right, let's get it going. <laughs> You're talking about that. I actually, I was going with the canceling, but yeah, that happens too. Yeah. You're like, we're not. There's not gonna be a mm. show tonight. There'll be. Oh yeah, he's doing it. We're gonna go. We're gonna go ahead. Here. <laughs> It's so that's so. I always find that ridiculous because of the fact that if it's a, such a number of people that you could just sit at their table, yeah, and just have a conversation at their table, it's so absurd to be standing on a stage hovering over them. If you can all fit in a vehicle, yeah, I think there shouldn't be a show. If everyone <laughs> can get in the same yeah. vehicle, let's go and for drive a drive somewhere. That's how we do it. That's how you measure it, whether a show should go ahead or not. Yeah. Do we need two vehicles or one? One? You know what? No show tonight. We're gonna uh we're gonna postpone <laughs> this thing. But but I've done them. I've done yeah, them in yeah, front yeah. of six people, seven people. And people, you know, people who are not in comedy go like, you know, how can you go up and perform in front of, you know, two thousand people, three thousand people? It's like that's not the hard part. The hard part's performing in front of three people, uh-huh. thirty people, ten people. Uh-huh. That's a, a tougher mountain to move. It's hard to generate momentum. It's hard to generate energy. Everyone's very aware of the elephant in the room. Like, well, uh, not a lot of us, huh? That's. Uh, I guess there yeah. were other options tonight. That's right. And, and, and my guess is you would have taken them if you knew this was going to happen. That's the yeah. other thing too. Exactly. It's the fact that you know they're sitting there going, "Why did we make this choice?" So if if a few of us leave, that's half the audience, right? <laughs> Although I will say that 
uh, not getting a laugh from 2,000 people is harder. <laughs> it's definite. Than it is. There's a certain weight of that silence. There is. Yeah. Like the more. There. Yeah. 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 For 2,000 people not to get you all at the same time. <laughs> I mean, it's more just a numbers game there. That's, yeah, uh, nope. it's like none of us know what you're talking about. Well, that's what are the chances? Uh, <laughs> yeah, like if it's six people who don't laugh, it's like, oh, that was the wrong six. Yeah, just the wrong, but really, 2,000? No, no one? No one gets the squirrel bit? All right, fine. Moving right along here. Uh, it is amazing, you know, I, I've said to people before, like, I, I think, I wish everyone could experience what a comedian experiences when you're performing on stage. The fact of... Like that wave of energy coming back to you once you say something that's funny mm. and that comes back and hits you. I mean, that's a powerful moment. Oh, yeah. And if everyone could feel that, I said to someone, have you, have you ever gone to a party and you said something funny and six people all laughed at once? Imagine how good that feels. Imagine how good it feels when there's 600 people or mm -hmm. there's a thousand people. Mm -hmm. It's you can't replace it with anything else in your life. I don't mm -hmm. think unless you've done that joke about 200 times, in which case it's like <laughs> it's like, hey, that wasn't as big a laugh as I usually get on that joke. <laughs> you get spoiled like, oh, really? Usually it's an applause break. But anyway, uh, moving right along. Tough crowd. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're rolling in the aisles. And not not enough. Oh, really? No, I usually get a I usually get a standing ovation on every bit. <laughs> um, that would be the ultimate show Just a comedian who gets a standing ovation yeah. On every joke yeah, really. <laughs> They don't even wait for the end of the show yeah. It's just hey, This is unbelievable yeah. And they just have to get out of their seats it's to, The show is seven hours long Because yeah. people have to get up, stand up They sit back down It's, it's almost like a cardio class That's right It's exhausting seeing him live Just my quads have never been stronger um, I want to ask this question I think to one or two other uh, people on the podcast And it was a question that was asked to me This will end on this uh, at a job interview that it, when I first came to Calgary, someone said to me, what is a belief or a perception that someone has of you that is incorrect, and what is the correct perception? So I will pose that to you, sir. What is a belief that you may have heard about you or a perception that someone may have of you that you think uh, you can come across that way, but in reality, you're the opposite of that? Hmm. Well, I guess that, that would be... Um uh, like something emotional, probably something that is a part of my personality, uh, versus uh, maybe a fi something physical that they might think that I don't have something, but I have it. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever plugged that before, but that's uh, that's interesting. That's I, wanna, I want to first, you know, know that, that I'm that entering into this with the, the the understanding of what we're asking here. <laughs> um, 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 I think that I think that maybe some comics get this generally, where I think. It's a matter more of time and place. Like maybe it, there might be a time where I'm I'm in a mood where I might be a little I might come off as being a little aloof or I don't you know it's like it's I, I'm like a one, like everybody's somewhere on the spectrum of you know introvert extrovert whatever and depending on how when you catch me I can come off as an introvert or as an as an extrovert you know so like if it's an unfamiliar surrounding I, I sometimes can clam up or or maybe I might come off as being a, a little edgy uh, whereas if you know me, I, I feel like, yes, I have that edge, but I'm also, I think that there's a certain kind of uh, caring and warmth there. So I think it's that. I think it's just a matter of perception of when it, when you catch me in the day kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And I think that that, because otherwise, I don't know, in terms of like that kind of question, I, by the way, I'm, I'm always terrible with on-the-spot questions. 
which is why I, I, I can email these too. Yeah, if you don't mind, and then, and then I can. Yeah, 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 I'll. I'll uh, I've got. I've got your same recording device, so I'll just. <laughs> it'll. It'll match with the audio. Um, <laughs> but, but uh, I think that. Yeah, I think. In, I mean, in terms of that kind of perception, like. Uh, I think people probably think I'm I'm really rather intelligent, but I don't know if I'm that intelligent. Right, right. right. How about that one? That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Uh, no, but but uh, yeah, because sometimes I feel like you know when I have to now go in my whenever anybody asks me a question like that or what's your favorite thing, I'm like, I kinda, I kind of need some time to kind of yeah, think about kind of. Well, the, re- the reason why I asked you because like uh, I feel I feel like as a comedian, for me, I had a hard time navigating what people's perception was of when they found out you were a comedian and then you were, I, I, like it was almost like they expected me to act a certain way off stage, and I almost felt the pressure yes. to be that way off stage, and I felt really uncomfortable. And after a while, I would start to avoid social situations because I'm like, well, they're going to know, mm-hmm. and then it's going to change the whole dynamics of the room, and I, I don't want to be the center of attention. Yeah. Because I felt like before I found stand-up, I think I needed that attention all the time, and so I was holding court more so with right. parties and social gatherings. But when I started doing stand-up, that was the outlet. So I didn't need the attention off stage anymore, and I definitely didn't need people to go, oh, you're, you know, and now there's an expectation for me to be on all the time. And I found it, um, I learned to eventually just go, hey, I'm just going to be me, and that's going to be enough for people. And if that means I'm on or funny at them for a moment or I'm serious, I'm fine with just being me. Mm-hmm. But I had a hard time navigating that for the first number of years because I, I didn't really know how to act. And I felt if I'm not funny, they're going to think, well, he can't be very good. Or what's he got an ego? You know, like it was almost like I thought I was better than them, which right. I didn't. Yeah. But it was just I was just being normal. So I, I felt like I was always in my head with it all. So I really struggled with it for a bunch of years. Well, it's funny because that, that actually is kind of similar to the introvert extrovert thing. Yeah. Right. Where where you might want to just kind of not you know, get the, all the attention of the room, beca- which is an introverted point, you know, place to be. And yet you do have the extrovert in you when you, those moments. And for me, it's just a moments like where I just like, you know, the classic thing that people will say, Oh, you're a comedian, say something funny or whatever. Mm-hmm. And my response sometimes is, yeah, inspire me to <laughs> right. Put it on them. <laughs> right. Like, it's like, it's like, I actually can be that way sometimes if I'm with the right, am I, I'm in the right company and it feels like I kind of, I'm inspired to, yeah, you know, riff and be funny in that moment, but it—that's th- the whole thing too—is the pressure being put on the spot. I mean, you just mentioned earlier that that doing stand-up is, was kind of compensating, like taking control of the attention that you're getting, right? And so that's you taking control. That's you doing it because you chose to do it, not because it's expected. So that's almost flipping it back to the idea of be funny for me right now. I expect it from you, right. and that's taking the control away from you. Yeah. And you're like, no, 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 I I'm, don't know if I feel like doing that right now. Now that you've said that, now I really don't feel like it because it's not in my control to do it. I'm doing it to please you because you said so. Right. And you haven't paid a cover tra- fee yet. Yeah, and that's usually what I'll say, too. That's the other line is I'll right. usually say, uh, I'll say, well, I, I haven't seen the cover charge being. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you're right. It, it, maybe it is that kind of shift in dynamics of control of like that's this is not how this is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. I, I've gone as far as. Uh, if I go to get like a massage or something, and you have to write occupation, I, like I won't write comedian. Oh no! I'll write like sales or I'll write whatever something that I know is not going to strike up a conversation because if I say comedian, it's going to monopolize the conversation or whatever. And it doesn't. And again, this doesn't come from any degree of arrogance at all. It comes from a degree of like I just literally want to go and enjoy this massage and not. I don't want to talk about me at all. Like I really don't want it to be yeah. about being and a, a and, comedian. And it's like, not just about not wanting to talk about you, because I you know I obviously 
have the same experience. It's also I don't want to answer the same questions again. Right. Right. I mean, it's it's a bit of that job interview thing, right? It's it's like uh, it's like yourself. it's like dating too much, where you just you know you you meet up and then you just have the same conversation over and over again. Uh, you know, my my take on it is is that feel like if somebody if somebody finds out you're a comedian, you know, it's like that kind of party scenario, or whether it's like a scenario like that where somebody's working on your back. Yeah. Um, I almost just want to hand them a, a brochure, a pamphlet, with with, with an FAQ, right? <laughs> yeah. So they so they can kind of so who do you like or anything like it's always the same questions. Yeah. You go, you can read this, and then if you have any further questions, you can yeah, you go uh, to my website. You, I was going <laughs> to say, as you can see, there's a link, and I can maybe get to that email uh, at some point when I'm <laughs> retired. That's so it's so true. I've thought about that too. It's like. I actually posted this on social media a bunch of months ago. I said, like, if people really want to know what it's like to be a comedian without doing the stand-up part, just tell a stranger that you're a comedian. It, it Like, the reaction that you'll get and just how people... Because you realize, I mean, we're, we're in this world, we live in it, but, like, it's it's weird for people to meet for someone to say that they're a comedian. Of course like, it people is. People are like, what? Of course it is. There you are know? many of us out there. That's what I mean. It's such a small population. It's like saying you're an astronaut. Yeah. Like, people are... Really? The space? Yeah, it is kind of fascinating. I mean, you know, they're not I in it like that. we are, so it's less fascinating once you do it. But uh, <laughs> but no, but it's true. Yeah, if you met an astronaut, you, you, you'd have, you'd you'd have like, questions. I'm like, I'm sorry, but i got to ask you some of these questions. Do, do you have pee a brochure? In the suit? Do you pee in the suit? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's his first go-to. So <laughs> that's uh, where I, I thought that's where you're going, but yeah, fine. Yeah, if you don't, uh, what, yeah. I don't know what you would ask. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, but yeah I, and so I've... I found a way to kind of navigate it now, I think, but I still do have these moments where I'm a little tense and I'm like, I don't want to come up. I've been on flights where, you know, someone strikes up a conversation and uh, they're like, so uh, what, brings you to, what brings you to San Diego? And it's like, ah, oh, it's going down for work and I'll avoid it as long as I can. Like, I will not say what it is yeah. I do because I know if I do say what it is, it's going to become an interview. It'll literally become Always. just a one-way conversation of them asking me questions and quite often if I am going to have a conversation with someone, I'm far more interested in, in them than I am in, you know, talking about myself the whole time. Yes. But and quite often your your profession monopolizes where it goes. Yeah, and, it's, you know, and they probably also don't want to talk about their profession <laughs> as much as you don't want to talk about no, yours. No, you tell me about what you do. You tell me what you mm. – no, no, you tell me about – okay, well, well, let's go one for one. We've <laughs> it's not bad, one for one. It's not bad. One Maybe that's one. a solution to the problem. <laughs> we both hollow cards and hand them to each other. Yeah. FAQ, there yeah. you go. You'll read those. <laughs> yeah, you both, both have links. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. right. Yeah, so, really. Just tra trade your trade your pamphlets and yeah. then uh, sales. Interesting. Okay, yeah. I was going to say sales, but whatever. Um, yeah, now, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what if you say something and they do the same thing and then they start? Really? Then it turns into a shop talk that you don't know how to talk. Right. He says comedian, but he's really sales. You say sales, and you're really a comedian. What are the chances? I see a sitcom. I do see you see it? I don't see it. Uh, it's been <laughs> it's already been canceled before even pitched. It's, uh, <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Well, sir, this is uh, this has been fun. Yeah. For those of you, unfortunately, we weren't recording the four hours prior that we <laughs> we hung out during the day when we had lunch. There was some really good stuff in there too. That was uh, yeah. I would argue meaty, better. There um, was some meaty stuff in there. Yeah. No. We, I were, think we were pulling for it here. We were trying to find the energy to keep this thing going mm -hmm. here in the overtime of that whole of the whole day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's some good stuff in here too. But uh, maybe we'll have to do a longer one down the road. Um, no, I think not tonight. I think we're yeah. good. I think this is more than enough. This should be more. <laughs> so the name of your DVD, Alex Nussbaum, more than enough. That's <laughs> no, I've actually I've been working on. Uh, I think it's going to be called "Clinging to Hope." Clinging to hope uh, and, uh, with one hand. 
Um, <laughs> thanks for doing this, man. Safe travels uh, back to Los Angeles for you. And uh, I'm glad I got back in time before you left because I was on the road myself. So always good to see you. It was good that we w worked it out. We did work it out. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. That's how it all started Like a whisper in your ear You told them you loved them And ran as fast as you could It's not to be taken lightly But then you never were Your fingers bleeding, your body aches from the thunder in your heart So you laid on the line Blindfolded and chalk marked Like a good little soldier you Knew just what you were Can you give up now? Can you turn this around? Can you keep your heart beating? How do you live when you don't know how? So you laid on the line, blindfolded and chalk marked, like a good little soldier, knew just what you were. Get it out fast enough to me.